the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. AM 1420, WBSN presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costin. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. The silent assassin Matt Costa is, I think he's working. I think he may be right. He chose making money over hanging out with us. So would I. Yeah, I don't blame him. We are glad to be here on an early edition here, a primetime edition of Spooky South Coast. This is where we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night, but normally we're on at 10 p.m. We're on 10 to midnight, but tonight we get an early night. We get extra sleep because the Red Sox are out on the West Coast. They'll be coming up at 9.20. That'll be the start of the pregame. We'll be here with you all the way until then. And we have joining us tonight in studio our guest, Keith Johnson, who was the first guest on Spooky South Coast so many years ago. What was it, like 22 years ago or, or seven and a half? <laughs> I think it's seven and a half. And uh, th- this is uh, your first time, though, being a guest on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. Correct, and I'm glad to be here. And it seems strange. I'm actually here, and it's still light out. I know. It's, we're, it's, it's a little disconcerting. You know? I, I feel almost like when we leave here, we should all go like investigate or something just because we're going to get out so <laughs> exactly. early. But then we're not taking advantage of that opportunity for sleep. And Man, I was here at 6 a.m. this morning, so I could use it. Now, uh, the, the program, for those of you who have never listened to us before, we, we talk about the paranormal, the strange, the unusual. We explore all different avenues of it. And what we do is we bring in some cameras, we set them up around the studio, and we broadcast on our website, Spooky TV. On, uh, on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you get in there, you can watch the video, see what's going on in the studio. You can hear the WBSM broadcast while you're in there. And you can also join in the chat room with some of our regulars, who I see there's quite a bit of our regulars in there, despite the early period, the early start time here. So they must be neglecting their families and dinner to, to join us. So thank you for doing that. And I had tweeted out earlier, you can follow us on Twitter, at SpookySC. But I tweeted out earlier that if you tuned into Spooky TV, something would be missing. And uh, it's not Matt Costa. We knew he wasn't going to be here. But uh, if you look, I went with a new look. And for those of you who are just listening on the radio and can't look, I'll give you one of these. (laughs) So I decided to go with the full Walter White for summertime. And uh, so I I was actually buzzing my head down earlier because it's hot. And it's sticky, and I wanted to get rid of it. And I said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go all the way down to the skin. I haven't shaved my head all the way down since we started doing this program. I used to do it all the time for like four or five years. This was my look. And so when people met me later on, they were like, hey, you don't look anything like your picture in the newspaper. I don't look anything like my picture in the police station either. That's why I did it. (laughs) So uh, we could fool everybody. So, you know, just a little bit of a a different summer look. It, It may stay for a while. I may let it grow back. But the good news is I don't have to pay for shampoo for the remainder of the summer, which is funny because I just bought a brand new bottle. Yeah, you've shed some hair and you've shed some pounds too, haven't you, Matt? A few. Yeah. He he, Yeah, he he lost it because uh, he's running around in the woods uh, chasing zombie targets, getting ready for the uh, apocalypse. (laughs) So, uh, and and carrying the heavy artillery, you know, it's kind of like weightlifting at the same time. Right. So, uh, actually, when when I I thought about shaving my head earlier, but I was afraid that people would start to think that I looked like what Moniz looks like when he takes that wig off. (laughs) (laughs) Tell anybody. So, Keith, we're glad that you could join us tonight. Originally, we were going to be joined by Lara Calhoun for a simulcast edition of our show and her show, Resurrection Radio. But two things happened. One, uh, we got moved to this earlier time slot because of the Red Sox. And 
So that kind of put a crimp in things because she hosts her show at the same time. And two, kind of got nixed from the higher-ups about us simulcasting over an internet radio stream at the same time. So understandable. But Laura's going to join us in a few weeks uh, to talk about the idea of hiring publicists and PR people for the paranormal. And we'd been planning on talking to you, Keith, for a long time about tonight's topic, but we asked if you could step in and, and come in, and you graciously were able to do so. But let me get your thoughts before we get into everything else. What do you think about these paranormal talent agencies and, and being a longtime paranormal investigator and a celebrity within the field? Do you feel that it's a, a beneficial thing to have somebody else handling all that stuff for you? Because I know you take care of it all yourself. Yes, yeah. Sandra and I take care of it ourselves, and she's kind of a... Uh She's my secretary and, and everything, and I really depend on her for a lot. <laughs> she she takes me by the hand and leads me around. So talent agencies, um, I suppose it's a good thing. It's just I wonder if it crimps your freedom. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm so used to somebody calls me and I'm, I'm ready to go and you want to talk to them and you talk one-on-one with a client and you decide when you're going to go. You confer with your team then just go. If somebody is deciding that for you, then, then that's kind of a – that's kind of crimping your style, uh, to me personally, to me personally. But I suppose if you're doing, like, public appearances and everything, it's it's a whole different story. And and how would you feel about being kind of tied down to one organization? Because, you know, you have the freedom right now being independent both as an investigator, even though you have uh, New England Anomalies Research, you do join other teams in their investigations, and you help out from time to time when people need your services. But... In terms of uh, appearances and events and everything, you know, you have the opportunity to go, say, to an ideal event or to a beyond reality event, and you can come to a Legend Trips event, and, and you have that type of freedom. Is that what you would want to have in, in terms of the public appearance aspect of things? I think I'd like the freedom. I, I think so. Like, uh, I, I, you know, I think I personally, I love my group. We have a wonderful group, and, you know, we're part lighthouse paranormal and searchlight paranormal teamed up with us as well and uh it's just so good that way that we have the freedom and it doesn't crimp our style and they also have their separate investigations as well and nobody steps on each other's toes and i kind of like the freedom of that because you know i'm an old prairie dog you know so i started (laughs) way back when so see how easy it is folks when there's no ego involved when you're not trying to outdo the other paranormal team in town you know, it makes things a lot easier, and people can get along a lot better. So uh, we'll talk about that coming up in a couple of weeks with Lara, because she does run Resurrection Talent, and she does a good job in doing so. So I just really want to get to the heart of the matter about I'm sure she does things. a wonderful job. I'm sure she does. And, and she does a good, a good job of raising awareness for a lot of her clients when people might not be aware of who they are. So we'll talk about that on the 20th. And then next week, we're going to be back here at a special time again. We'll be here 7 to 9.20 again. We'll be joined by David Weatherly to talk for the first time about black-eyed kids. Moniz, I know you guys have covered this on 30-odd minutes, and I'm sure that you've heard reports of black-eyed kids being an investigator. And this is one of those topics that is probably number one most requested from, uh, well, I should say number two behind Amityville uh, from all of our listeners. They want to talk about black-eyed kids. So if you happen to run into any between now and next week, you know, when they knock on the door and say, can we come in? Let them come in. Let them possess your soul or whatever it is they're going to do. Just make sure you get them to come in Saturday night. See, that's the weird part. It's trying to discern which avenue or area of the paranormal they belong in. Because there's been a number of reports in these UFO cases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's one of these pieces of the phenomena that straddles a number of different, you know, avenues. In reading the book, uh, Black Eyed Kids by David Weatherly, I'm currently of the mindset that these are just the current incarnation of whatever injured cold was. Back in the 60s. You know what I mean? 
So whatever whatever that type of phenomena was, this is the modern day version of it. And that could be boogeymen, that could be fairies, that could be all kinds of different things. The archetype. Yes. So we'll talk about all that. I'm pretty excited about that, but I'm really excited about tonight's topic, Keith, because we've well, we've been trying to get you back on the show for a long time, but our booker, Chris Balzano, kept ignoring when we told you, you know, <laughs> Keith wants to come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wish kidding. he was here tonight. That would be kidding. cool, you know. Well, he can join in if he's, if he's listening. I don't know how busy he is tonight. I don't, know, I don't see him in the chat room, but if he wants to join in, he certainly can. Uh, he knows the numbers to call, and he knows how to get a hold of us. But uh, you had mentioned to me a while back about this case that is – kind of the seminal case of your career mm-hmm. and it's been the thing that has been probably had the most weight on your career over the last however long it's been since you actually conducted the investigation give us kind of a little bit of a setup of, of what happened and, and when well it was uh my first major in-home investigation uh, other than my own house and my best friend's house and that's how we started our paranormal investigation with our own homes and of course legend tripping local cemeteries and things like that but would this, you be kind enough to share a year uh 1973 i was 18 years old and uh so Mo- moniz is only pushing you because it's the first time he has somebody older than him that you can pick <laughs> on, <so>. veterans <laughs> veterans right <laughs> veterans of a thousand psychic yeah. wars right yeah. exactly yeah yeah it was uh 1973 and i belonged to a group called pyro parapsychological investigation and research organization pyro we weren't pyromaniacs but i mean uh, <laughs> It was based out of Rhode Island College, and our chairperson was Donna, and um, my brother was a member as well. So that's how we started out. We actually started out because uh, we attended, we had been into our own version of paranormal investigation at the time, but, uh, you know, everybody thought, oh, you're crazy doing this. Of course, we attended a lecture at Rhode Island College given by Ed and Lorraine Warren, And we met and became lifelong friends with Ed and Lorraine after the lecture. And that's how we met Donna and became members of Pyro at Rhode Island College. So um, that's how it all started. And we joined our first group. So in 1973, of course, you have to go back a ways. There was no Internet. And this stuff was not really – I mean, it was popular when you saw it on TV. People watched the shows. But it wasn't really accepted to actually be doing this. And – of course, you see the college groups now, they're very accepted. But back then, it was not accepted on campus at all. Uh, we'd come to our meeting, and somebody would already be in the room using it. Uh, we got the room for tonight, and we'd have to go in the noisy lobby, things like that. That's just an example of how accepted it was. So I put an ad in a local paper. I thought I designed it pretty well, put a little border around it, that we do free-of-charge investigations of things that uh, cannot readily be explained. I thought it would just be ignored or maybe you'd get a couple of calls. But mm-hmm. um, three weeks after I put that ad in, it was answered by a woman named Carolyn Perrin from Boroughville, Rhode Island, in the Harrisville section. And she had moved into an 18th century farmhouse built in 1736 in Harrisville. And she was having what would be called an extreme haunting, uh, some paranormal activity that she was having a tough time explaining and living with. And would she please, uh, would we please meet with her and investigate her situation? And we said, uh, yes, we would. 
Sorry, that's Chester Cheetah taking calls on our time. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we we agreed to take her case and uh, listen to her. And, um, you know, we were, oh, gee, we got, we got a case, we got a case. So we tried to sound very casual, of course. Yes, and we listened to her. And what she told us was, uh, I mean, it was basically beyond belief. It was horrific. Just the history, the history of the house alone, let alone what she'd been going through. Well, why don't we take a break, and when we come back on the other side, because you know, we we're in prime time, so we have to take hard breaks here. Sure. So when we come back on the other side, you can tell us about some of the phenomena that was taking place. We'll give Chester Cheetah his say. And throughout the course of the night, if you have any questions or, or thoughts for Keith, you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast on WBSM. Hello. Hey, man. Hello. You up? No. Wake up. I need to talk to you. I think your house is haunted. Hey, come on. It's 2.30 in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. I'm scared. All right. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. And our guest in studio tonight is Keith Johnson. You know him from programs such as Ghost Hunters, Paranormal State, and, of course, his own show, Ghosts Are Near. And uh, how, how's that going, Keith? It's going exceptionally well, very, very well. We've started doing Skype recently, and uh, we've got to have you guys on again. And uh, you sure. guys are always, always welcome. You know that. I, I thought you were looking for higher ratings. What do, what do you want to do with us here? <laughs> uh, every once in a while, you have to go to the bottom of the barrel so that everybody else looks that much better. So and, and the Skype thing must be working out great because now you can bring in people from all over the country and all over the world. Oh, yes, yes. Yep, that so, is a convenience. Uh, anybody cool coming up that uh, you can let everybody know about? Well, our next show is going to be about this this very topic, oh, actually. Wow. So that's going to be our, our next topic. So we've done that. We recently, recently did Shannon Sylvia about her new book, and we've been having a bunch of authors on. We recently did a show on legend tripping, so... You know, the topics just keep coming. As you know, it's oh, yeah. never ending. There's always something to talk about. Yes. And uh, we were, before we took a break, we were discussing this case, uh, th- this big, your first big case, and we were about to talk about some of the phenomena that was taking place in this in this farmhouse. And what what type of things was she reporting to you? Well, they, I mean, it could be such a such a long, long story if we told every detail. But essentially. Um, this was their dream house they had to move in. She didn't even tell her, Carolyn didn't even tell her husband, Roger, that she had uh, put all this money into it. Now, guess what I did today, dear? And so we've got a new farmhouse out in the country. But uh, the previous owner told him, let me give you some advice. Do not sleep with the lights off. That's one piece of advice. Well, as soon as they came, because they had it's five. pretty ominous right. when you're buying a house. Exactly. Exactly. They had five young daughters. And uh, as soon as they moved in, the young daughters, who's that man? Who's that man? There's a man on the staircase looking at us. And they started seeing the spirit. And the kids uh, affectionately named him Manny. They didn't know his name, but they, he was a man, so they called him Manny. And um, But uh, then some more sinister things started happening. Uh, Carolyn seemed to be targeted. Uh, it wasn't so nice to her. One t- day in front of witnesses, a coat hanger leapt off the coat rack and began whacking her on the head, kind of letting her know she's wow. not welcome. Uh, and she did get some serious bruises from that. One day she was uh, cutting an orange, slicing an orange, and it started bleeding. And uh, blood started actually gushing out of it, going all over her toes, all over. And, and she just spaced out. She went into a phantasmagoric state. She just uh, freaked freaked out at that. And... Um, 
she began uh, getting welts and bruises and, you know, just these something did not want her there. And uh, the family was basically very, very terrified. Now, when I met Carolyn, she was a very extremely attractive, attractive woman. She looked like a model, very 70-ish, you know, with the long, dark hair, very slim with the high cheekbones. But uh, I knew something was wrong, the way she was shaking and the dark circles under her eyes. I knew something was very wrong with this attractive woman. And, but she spoke very coherently, very plainly when she told us the story. And she did feel very, very threatened in her own house. The the history was incredible of this house. Um, I know houses like the Borden house. Of course, there's some terrible things that happened in there. Mm -hmm. But the history compared to this house, just one thing after another after another. Um, In uh, 1849, there was a young girl uh, shortly before her 12th birthday named Prudence Arnold. Somebody... uh, a man about 24 years old had made advances on her. Uh, I guess he wanted to marry her for her money. She refused, and he proceeded to slice her head off. Ooh. And uh, the, the, she was almost completely decapitated. There was just a flap of skin holding her head on. And then I guess when he realized what he'd done, he stole $2 from her. And uh, when he realized what he'd done, he came to his senses. He tried to kill himself, but the straight razor was too dull, and uh, he didn't... Uh, wind up killing himself he uh so he was apprehended um there was a uh man in 1883 mr john arnold who uh committed suicide by drinking horse liniment there was a um in 1903 there was a man named jarvis smith who was a lawyer who for some reason was on his way to the house and uh stopped in the little garret outside of the house and froze to death there was a uh, another Edwin um, Edwin Arnold was on his way home from Slatersville. He got disoriented, lost in the woods, and he died before reaching the house. Um, this is the Arnold Estate, is the actual name of the farmhouse. But I would say most shocking is there was a woman who was babysitting an infant, um, about uh, three weeks old or less. When the parents came home, this infant was writhing in convulsions. They called the doctor. Of course, it took a long time for the doctor to get there. By the time the doctor got there, the infant was dead. They performed an autopsy, found that a sewing needle had been embedded in the base of the baby's skull. I mean, I mean, it just it's difficult to talk about because it was just so terrible. And um, obviously there was an inquest. The woman, um, there was not enough, unlike the Lizzie Borden case, there was not enough evidence to uh, even charge her, so it never came to trial. But she never lived down that reputation. Now, her name was Bathsheba. Her name was Bathsheba Sherman. And uh, the rumor in town was she was born near an area called Witch's Hollow. And the rumor was, as rumors go, that she was uh, a satanic witch had sold her soul to the devil for eternal youth and beauty. Now, this woman was um, supposedly beyond beautiful. She was captivatingly beautiful and uh, almost too beautiful to be true. And there, the rumors were that that's why she was so beautiful. She had sold her soul for mm-hmm. eternal beauty. So and just that, being good-looking and coming from a place near Witch's Hollow is enough to convict yes, you in the court of public exactly. Opinion. And that, the fact that this infant died, well, that, well, that was the sacrifice. Now, of course, she was never even charged or convicted, but... Uh, she was never able to live down that reputation, and uh, she did die a cantankerous old woman. 
She died in 1885, um, May 25th, 1885, at the age of 71. She died of paralysis. That's what's listed. And um, supposedly she was just uh, almost calcifying. They had to carry her body out. She was stiff. She could not be moved. And um, there was also a woman, supposedly Mrs. John Arnold, who uh, was in her 90s and hung herself in the barn out and back. Now, this is where it gets a bit confusing because Bathsheba Sherman and Mrs. John Arnold are sometimes sometimes confused with each other. Some people think that Bathsheba's paralysis was a cover-up, and she was the one, she was the witch who hung herself in the barn out and back. Um, But whatever, somebody did hang themselves in the barn, uh, an older woman, and uh, that's supposedly one of the spirits that haunts this house. Well, the paralysis could have been stroke. Yeah, that's, that, that could be. That's very common. And you're talking about the person being calcified. A lot of the problems that come with stroke have to do with, you know, buildup of stuff in the blood, and it causes aneurysms. Well, very possible, because that's what the... Um, death certificate said simply paralysis so we don't know exactly what the cause of death was but uh she was supposedly one of the spirits haunting the house but anyway we um were called in to investigate because carolyn um frankly and and her children were having a hard time uh taking this her husband was a bit dubious but some terrible things had happened uh in his house for one thing the uh basement door would open at a certain time in the night they couldn't keep it closed no matter how many times he locked it the lock would be opened and finally he got uh, tired and he really secured it tied a rope on it there was an explosion at um, about three in the morning and they found the door basically been exploded off Hmm. and uh, also there was a uh terrible uh terrible uh happening to the uh pet rabbits one of the daughters there were five daughters one of the daughters had two pet rabbits and uh she woke up one morning to go feed them and they were sliced to pieces uh wow you know ritualistically sliced it seemed to be and um you know and and they never they never found out I, i know they uh the family had moved from cumberland and supposedly they had some enemies there but i mean you'll never know we'll never know who actually did that but um Anyway, it was a, getting a very, very terrible place to live, but they loved it. I mean, a beautiful, beautiful place, a lot mm-hmm. of acreage, a, a beautiful uh, brook with a bridge right outside. Well, any place that's called an estate is somewhere where you want to exactly, live. Exactly, exactly. So we were called in to investigate. And again, I was 18, Carl and I, my brother and I were 18 years old at the time. And um, we did come to investigate it in August of 1973. I had been working my landscaping job all day, and um, incidentally, I was at the Sprague Mansion doing the lawn there, <laughs> the haunted site. So I was thinking of that all day and uh, praying all day while doing my lawn. You know, but uh, nobody could hear me uh, singing hymns and praying while I'm doing the lawn. So, um, you know, I, I come home and everybody's uh, all dressed and showered, and they got their nice clothes on. All the rest of the team, and there I am. I've got my, you know, my hair's down past my shoulders, and I'm like 128 pounds at the time. And uh, I look, you know, I've got covered with dirt, you know, clean dirt, but I've been landscaping, and uh, you know, and this is Ken. This is 1973. I go to take my equipment. My equipment is a, a little cassette recorder and a, a Polaroid swinger. 
Wow. And and my Bible. That's that's my equipment. So uh, I go to take that and I get yelled at. You know, no, no, we don't have time. You come on. Everybody's waiting for you, you jerk. Come on. And so I uh, all I could take was my um, I just grabbed my Bible. That's all I could take. And uh, still got my work clothes on and everything. But we made the trip to Harrisville and began our investigation there. As soon as we got on this property, and I know both of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Set foot on that property, you could feel it. Mm-hmm. You could feel it. It was uh, all I could say. It's like an electric current, but it's drawing from you. Some people say it's positive ions. I don't think that's been proven yet, but it's uh, it was drawing energy right from us, like a warning. As soon as we get out, and um, I know Donna, our chairperson, just stiffened, like she had to force herself to take some steps forward. But the family gave us a tour of the house. Uh, the children. Uh, the five girls, they latched right on to me. I guess they, they thought I looked like um, David Carradine or something from, from <laughs> Kung Fu at the time because I had the long hair and the dress my work clothes and everything and, you know, the Emporia India and stuff. So so they gave me a tour of the house and told me all what was going on. They took me upstairs and started confiding in me how frightened they were. So this is the first time I ever used uh, religious provocation. I asked them, well, I mean, what is what is your religious beliefs? Oh, we're Catholic. We're believers. We do go to church. We, we, we believe in God. And so I told them, well, you know what I would advise you? This is what I do when I'm afraid. Try calling upon the name of Jesus. Now, I know it was all in a split second, but it's as if time stood still. It's what the family later described as a bubble when you're, you feel like you're surrounded in time stands still. Um, as soon as I said the name Jesus, bam. Ooh. I'm sorry, but that's <laughs> no, I had to. I had to that's fine. It was like that's what a, a, I get the point. Yeah, yeah, a window that would not close because of the heat suddenly was slammed shut. One of the girls was slapped. She had to catch onto the bed. To, uh, she screamed. She being, began being slapped. Uh, just pandemonium in the room. But the worst thing was the the feeling that suddenly that feeling all of a sudden it was like somebody switched on something electric it's like electric current underwater and you could hardly breathe it was so thick in there and the girls were screaming and i realized you know i'm here i'm 18 but i'm the only i'm the closest thing to an adult here i'm responsible i've got to um i've got to do something to protect these children so i called i said told them don't be afraid i called upon the name of jesus twice more the third time i called upon the name of jesus it stopped like that stopped i mean you could feel it and you could see everybody react like that it just stopped it didn't leave the house but it did leave the room everything and they all looked around it's gone it's gone and they immediately jumped on my lap they jumped on me and uh the rest of our team is downstairs talking with the family they are so surprised when we come downstairs and the kids they're just smothering me with kisses oh keith helped us keith helped us and they're all excited meanwhile carl had gone upstairs to use the bathroom upstairs while i was going um not going to the bathroom but he was on his way to the bathroom (laughs) he was uh going i'll clarify that he was walking through the hallway he saw this dark cloudy grayish mist and he blinked to make sure he was seeing it and then it started moving so it was something that was not stationary. It was moving along the hallway, traveling along. And it was obviously trying to get his attention. Um, and he did get this feeling from that, too, as if it was drawing, somehow drawing energy. Um, needless to say, we uh, realized this is the real deal. Mm-hmm. And um, 
before we left that night, the eldest daughter, who was about 15, Andrea Perrin, she came up to me, and, you know, we had made friends, and she said, uh, Keith, not that I'm a chicken, but I have to get something in the cellar. Would you mind coming down with me <laughs> in the in the cellar and uh, have to get some preserves? So we went downstairs, and there's only one, one light lighting the whole <laughs> cellar, and uh, a very, very, very creepy cellar, and, uh, but then you could feel course you could feel it starting to manifest again while we're down in the cellar and she began trembling and um so i took her hand and we prayed together and uh, we felt safe and uh so that was our first investigation of course there was a lot more to it but that's essentially we said you know these these people are, are on the level <laughs> they're not making it up well now folks if you're listening to this at home and i, I know that we hear stories of people experiencing this type of phenomena these days uh, of course not with this level of intensity but we hear these stories from paranormal investigators and you got to think this is at a time when keith and his group were not influenced by television shows or or the internet or other things that they've seen i mean if they're seeing these they're seeing these things and confronting them with no idea of what they're going up against here uh, so i want to get into that a little bit more we're going to take a, another break here and when we come back on the other side i want to talk about what that was like in your mind, being you know pretty much the first time out there on one of these major investigations. And if anybody has any thoughts or questions, 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420. You can also jump in the chat room, Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, or you can tweet your questions to us at SpookySC. We'll be right back in just a few minutes here on WBSM. Hello. Hey, man. What? You up? No. Wake up. I need to talk to you. I think your house is haunted. Hey, come on. It's 2.30 in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. I'm scared. See, I ran the same bumper twice. What's wrong with me? What happens? We have more commercial breaks than we have bumpers. <laughs> so we're in trouble tonight. Welcome back into Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with Matt. Moniz, the one, the only, the science advisor. Matt Costa, the silent assassin, is out making money. And uh, maybe maybe he'll bring us some dinner. Who knows? Mm. We're here till 920 when the Red Sox come on. And our guest tonight is Keith Johnson of New England Anomalies Research and of Ghosts Are Near fame. And you, you've seen the shows. You've read his books, Paranormal Realities and Paranormal Realities 2. And uh, he is talking with us about one of the most profound cases anybody that I know has uh, ever investigated. And if you have any questions during the course of the night, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420 are the numbers if you want to call in and ask a question or share your own thoughts. And uh, I did an interview this past week on another radio station as a guest. And... Uh, How'd that go? Yeah, it went pretty well. They kept me on a lot later than I originally planned, but uh, it turned into one of these things that I'm sure you've had to deal with, Keith, where uh, instead of me talking about the things that I was there to talk about, it turned into everybody calling and sharing their own stories and just kind of having me validate their experiences and asking, if, you know, have you ever heard of that? Does that sound right to you? So uh, I'm sure some people will want to call in and share some of their experiences with Keith and, and feel free to do so a little bit later on in the program. But we're, we're talking about this case that you investigated in, in this uh, 18th century farmhouse and just the insane history of this place. And, and i got to ask you, with such a dark history, 
and you must have known all this going into the investigation, right? You, this was all stuff that you knew ahead of time? Most of it, but uh, some of it we learned while we were there inter- interviewing the family. And um, I don't think the family themselves knew everything mm-hmm. at the time. They, they learned it as they were going along. And, um, for example, Carolyn became uh, intensely obsessed with finding the history of this house, and especially about Bathsheba Sherman. She wanted to know more and more about Bathsheba, and uh, she did find, I mean, I find uh, Bathsheba fascinating that she really lived. You know, we're talking about specters and everything, but these uh, these people were really flesh-and-blood people, and... um, Bathsheba, in later life, did have a uh, court battle. She did wind up going to court, but it was over a property dispute with her brothers over a farm property, and she did win the lawsuit. And uh, after her husband, um, uh, Mr. Sherman, died, Judge Sherman passed away, she did marry again, a man named Mr. Green, and that was in the last uh, several years of her life. But um, And supposedly uh, somebody who actually knew her, at uh, you know when when he was a young child, uh, he was an elderly man. Told uh, Carolyn Perrin she was um, she was a tyrant. She was tyrannical, and um, well, she was a real flesh and blood person too. Um, was she uh, a witch that sacrificed an infant to the devil for for youth and beauty, which didn't turn out as she planned? I mean. Uh, we nobody actually knew her except this man said she was you know very cruel to her farm help and, and, and sometimes that type of at least in those days that type of a reputation yeah. you know that type of attitude would lead to people accusing you of being a witch yes yes and I'm sure she wasn't exactly Auntie M coming out with freshly baked <laughs> crullers for the farmhands in real life but uh, that doesn't make her a satanic witch I mean that makes her a lonely recu- recluse right. and you know I kind of feel bad that she had this reputation and, and was never able to, to vindicate herself. So so there's all this activity that has happened there over the course of its history, mm-hmm. and you know now going in into this a lot of that uh, yes. information. Yes, we did visit Bathsheba's grave. It's right across from the uh, fire station, the Harrisville fire it, station. It sounds to me, just you telling me the history, that there's something in this, uh, on this property maybe, or, or just kind of a shadow over it that's bringing people in and, and taking them mm-hmm. it's taking their lives and and were you at all concerned for the safety of yourself and your team at going into this uh yes yes i was i was very very concerned especially even when i set foot on the property i was very concerned uh i was praying all the way over reading reading the bible all the way over and uh i was very very concerned for the children i was very very concerned uh, for carolyn roger he was he was a pretty tough guy mm-hmm. uh i he seemed to be able to take care of himself um, but the rest of the family I was very, very, very concerned over. And um, so we we told them, we'll be back again next week. We're going to go over things. We're going to uh, help you all we can. In the meantime, uh, it wasn't even a week later. It was a few days later after our initial investigation. Donna, our chairperson, Donna Neufeld, had just uh, come home from school, and she g- receives this uh, frantic phone call from Carolyn Perrin. He said, Donna, I have to talk to you. Some emergency's happened. Something, something has happened. A crisis. I have to talk, talk to you. And she says, Carolyn, please calm down. Take a few deep breaths. Tell me what's happened. Well, she said that that morning, that very morning, she um, it was about 5.15 in the morning, and uh, just getting light out, she woke up and knew something was wrong in the room. 
Uh, she smelled, it was just filled with the uh, stench of uh, decaying flesh, just overpowering. Mm-hmm. Uh, she looks over in the bureau, and there's something like, almost like a firework, like a sparkler going off uh, on her dresser, and then it goes out. But there's nothing there. And she tried to uh, wake up her husband, because her husband is like, like dead. He won't move at all. She's banging him. She's pushing him. Then she turns over, and what she sees, it's almost beyond description. There's this what looks like a woman but is obviously not human it's something in human form wearing a victorian dress uh it's floating a few few inches off the floor uh instead of hands it's just got broken twigs of bone coming out of the uh out of the uh, fringe and the face is is nondescript it's almost described like a mass of cobwebs or a hornet's nest with very very indistinct features and um it's looking down at her. The strange thing is the head is not upright. It's hanging onto the shoulder. It's no, just balancing no. onto the shoulder as if the neck's broken. And the stench of Carolyn can hardly breathe, and she's panicking, trying to get away from and desperately trying to wake her husband, who won't move. And uh, it's chanting something. It's just chanting chanting this maniacal, maniacal phrase. And uh, so... Uh, Don asked, well, can you remember what it said? And I, I'm trying to, I wrote it down. And she said, excuse me, Don, I'm just shaking so much. I'm, my hands are trembling. I wrote down what I could remember. And, uh, of course, what was Carolyn's greatest fear living in an 18th century farmhouse? Fire. Mm-hmm. She was deathly afraid of the house catching on fire. So that's what it was talking about. And it was doing something in verse, um, something that sounded like some macabre witch's chant. Um, I'll drive you mad with fiery brooms. I'll drive you mad with death and gloom. I'll drive you out, but twill be too late, for you'll be dead. And um, twas mistress here before, twill be mistress again. And um, by the time it disappeared, Carolyn was about ready to just just fall out the bed and pass out. When it did, when it did leave the room, uh, she desperately tried to wake her husband. Her husband did wake up, and he was just covered with scratches all over his back, bleeding. He didn't feel him at the time, but he woke up. What's going on? I'm bleeding. And hence, that's why she was in such a state and said, Donna, and she was crying hysterically, I can't take it anymore. Please, you've got to help me. You've got to do something to help me. I can't live like this. We've sunk all our life into this house. I don't want to leave, but we can't live like this. So Donna said, all right, Carolyn, just try to calm down. I have friends named Ed and Lorraine Warren. They've been doing this for many years. They're good friends of ours. They live in Monroe, Connecticut. As soon as I get off the phone with you, I'm going to call them. And she did call him as soon as she got off the uh, phone with Carolyn, and that's how Ed and Lorraine Warren did become involved with the case. They agreed to, and they did drive down from Monroe, Connecticut, and became that. They uh, got involved that very weekend with the case. Wow. So, I mean, that's to, to have somebody call with that type of a report, and it's it's gone beyond just being an intense haunting to now it's physically accosting those that live there. Yes. Now it's a, a safety concern, and now it's a threat. Oh, yeah. And... I'm sure at the time, I mean, and Donna, the case manager, is probably a little bit more uh, seasoned in this. But as an 18-year-old kid, I mean, you must be wondering about how to protect these people and, and how to stop what's happening to them. Right. That, that was our main concern. You know, not just do research. This is we, we've got to stop this. Mm-hmm. Whatever research we do, we've got to stop this. This is up to us, and that's why we uh, didn't just uh, charge in there. We're going to take care of the whole thing. We decided to network, and of course, that's what. 
I advise people to do when they ask my advice today. I said there's nothing wrong with asking people's advice who have been in the field longer than than you have because that's that's what I did when I first started. And um, I'm sure you know both of you know most hauntings are not uh, this extreme. No, most of this, not at all. this is a rare no. rare exception. I mean, this is the uh, you know this is the jaws of the paranormal. It's it's like uh, this is this takes the cake. Well, before we get into uh, Ed and Lorraine getting involved with the case, uh, it, at this point in time, with what had been happening, what was going through your mind as a as a possible? Uh, that's probably not. <laughs> I'm going to turn your, mic down, uh, turn your mic down there so you can uh, let it, let those expletives fly. But um, when you're at this point in the case, what is your thought process? What are you thinking that this could be? Are you thinking that this is that this is kind of what you signed up for and that every case is going to be like this? Or do you kind of know that you're dealing with something very dark and, and powerful? I thought it was very unusual. I thought, it uh, to me, this was a demonic case. Mm-hmm. I did not think I was dealing with... Bathsheba Sherman in that room when that spirit began manifesting. But it seemed like it was pretending to be her. Yes. I my theory was it may have been an attachment. Uh it probably was a spirit that had oppressed Bathsheba Sherman in life. It had probably uh oppressed and been attached to Mrs. John Arnold in life. Uh perhaps it it influenced uh, Mrs. John Arnold's suicide. Uh we don't know, we'll never know, but that was my theory. But I thought, yeah, this is being this is unusual. It's being thrown at me, but this is um you know, it's just this just happens to be my first major case and uh it these are few and far between. But maybe if I hook up with Ed Warren, there'll be more of these cases. <laughs> Well, let's take our final break of the hour. When we come back, we'll talk about the the Warrens' uh, involvement in this case. And and, uh, and to me, it just – I couldn't imagine, you know, this being one of your first cases out, uh, just going back into it. I mean, you can just tell that this was your calling in life mm-hmm. and that, uh, that you were kind of meant to go up against this. So uh, we'll talk about all that and more in just a few minutes with our guest, Keith Johnson. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on WBSM Spooky South Coast. It blew books off shelves from 20 feet away and scared the socks off some poor librarian. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. This looks extraordinarily bad. Welcome back in the Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with Matt Moniz. And our guest tonight is Keith Johnson. In a few minutes here, we'll have to take a break for the news. And uh, on the other side, we'll get into more of the discussion about this case. And it's just already, it's making me think I'm not going to sleep well tonight. You know, and it's, it's if I heard this case from any other paranormal investigator, I'd be like, you know what? That just sounds a little bit too fantastical. Uh, for me to believe, but Keith is somebody that we've known since day one. For as long as we've been doing the show, he was our first guest, and and uh, he's been somebody who's been a mentor to us all along. So, and I know absolutely that if he's telling us this stuff happened, folks, it happened. So uh, keep that in mind throughout the course of the discussion, and uh, we'll talk more about that, and we'll get involved with the the Warren side of the story. Of course, they're coming up in the in the new film, The Conjuring, and uh, what great casting, by the way, I, oh, yes. I noticed from uh, just from the trailers. Oh yeah. It seems like they found the perfect, although it's kind of weird that Norman Bates' mother from Bates <laughs> Motel is playing Lorraine Warren. I'm looking at him and be like, here you got the basis for Psycho versus you know one of the 
nicest ladies in the paranormal. Yeah, but they they got the uh, style of dress down perfectly, mm-hmm. the the tartan dress and everything. It looks it, it looks incredible. I can't wait to see it. And uh, we might be I can't let the cat out of the bag here too much, but we may be having the director of Insidious and The Conjuring, the same guy, James Wan, uh, in a future. Uh, interview here on Spooky South Coast. So we're working on making that happen. And uh, something that we do definitely have planned for the future is our USS Salem Legend Trips event. It's called Dead in the Water. It's happening August 31st. Your chance to investigate the USS Salem with Jeff Belanger and the Spooky crew. We're going to be there uh, pretty much for the entire night. You know, we'll do our usual Legend Trips format. We'll have dinner. We'll have lectures. We'll have hours of guided investigation throughout the ship. Some of the stories that uh, have been coming out of the ship over the years are incredible. We have not just reported EVP and creepy experiences and object moving, but this ship is full of reports of apparitions. And that's something that uh, is not really been the case with a lot of our legend trips events so this might be our first chance of actually catching something on video so it's going to be really exciting for us as investigators but also for you as well if you want to join us you can get your tickets from legendtrips.com we have uh, some still available although they've only been open for the public uh, for about a week now and already through our pre-sale for our legendtrips.com email list uh, subscribers and through the public pre-sale of just one week we're already uh, more than a quarter of the way filled to our capacity. so uh, And we've got uh, a couple of months left for people to guy- buy tickets. So if you want to go to this, you have to get your tickets early. And we're working on some things here. You might be able to spend the night on the ship. Well, not you, Moniz, because people want to sleep. <laughs> but other people could spend the night on the ship. And, of course, we're also working on getting our usual hotel deals. We'll find a, a local hotel where we can get a good, good rate for those who don't want to sleep on the ship and, and who have to travel. And you'll also have your opportunity to get spirit medium readings from Tiffany Rice and Stephanie Burke as well. So it's going to be just a, a phenomenal event. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to go check it out ahead of time because I've never been there. I heard that it probably will get a little warm. <laughs> on an August night yeah. in, in, in this giant uh, heavy class cruiser ship. Uh, but we will uh, we'll be so excited to be in there that I don't think it will even make a difference. So legendtrips.com is the website. If you want to get your tickets right now, we're going to take a break from the news, and then we will be back with more here on Spooky South Coast. South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, and our guest tonight is Keith Johnson. We are broadcasting live both here on WBSM and on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, so if you want to tune in and check out what is going on in the studio, you can do so. You can also jump in the chat room with a lot of our friends who are in there, uh, the folks who are usually there with us late on Saturday nights, because we're normally on 10 to midnight as we talk about the paranormal each and every week, but tonight we're on a special primetime show because at 9.20 will be the Red Sox pregame show, and then the Sox will be taking on the Los Angeles Angels at 9.20, so I'm going to well, at 10 o'clock. So the pregame's at 9.20. The game starts a little bit after 10. And uh, this will be the, the format next week as well. We'll be back here uh, at this early time as well. And we'll get a couple of weeks where we get to sleep in. And we get a little extra sleep. And then we'll back to <laughs> Saturday nights from 10 to midnight. Which is, you know, that's our comfort zone. 
I'm glad it's going to be dark by the time we leave here. Because I don't know, my mind is just blown when we leave here in the daytime after doing Spooky South Coast. Although, after tonight's topic that we're discussing, I think I'd rather be leaving in the daytime because uh, this case is definitely sending shivers up my spine. We're talking about the, the first major case that Keith investigated in his long and illustrious career. And we were talking off air. Keith, that this is actually the case that the upcoming film, The Conjuring, is based on. I was under the impression that that was kind of uh, uh, some some of the greatest hits of the Warrens uh, kind of all put together into one case to make it seem very intense for a movie, but it's, it seems like this is all all that you need just from this case to, in order to have a successful horror film. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And this is supposed to be um, possibly the major horror film of the decade. It's it's supposed to be uh, fantastic. It's, it's very above average, your average horror film. It's uh, supposed to be uh, very, very spectacular and... Um, it is, uh, you know, based on true events. It is the true case well, of the Harrisville. And if you're going to invoke the name of Ed and Lorraine Warren in the film, oh, yeah. then you have to live up to their names and their work. And you, you can't just turn out one of these, you know, run-of-the-mill horror movie pieces of crap here. You have to have something that is impactful and something that will be something people will remember. Otherwise, I, I mean, you can kind of tell because, you know, Lorraine wouldn't have signed off on it if it wasn't going to be something of quality, and right. they would have just had, you know, fake names made up for them, like in the Amityville sequel. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, things like that. Right. So, uh, and you, you haven't had a chance to see the film yet, but I, I'm assuming that you've seen some of the trailers and, and mm-hmm. some of the stuff online, and uh, it definitely looks like, when I'm seeing some of these clips in the film, I'm thinking to myself, gee, that's something that somebody should have put in a horror movie a long time ago. You know, you see like the creepy doll turning around and things like that, and I'm like, mm-hmm. now that's the kind of stuff that will scare people, not even realizing that half the stuff that I'm seeing in the trailer is based on really true events. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, I, I can't help being nostalgic, you know, excited, but nostalgic because it was my first major in-home case, and it's exactly four decades ago. It's it's like reliving the situation again, and, um, you know, the, uh, the follow-up to what we investigated, uh, Ed and Lorraine did become involved. They were right down there that weekend, and um, unfortunately, I had to work my landscaping job that day because they did come in the daytime, but... Uh, Carl, my brother Carl and Donna, our chairperson, Donna Neufeld, um, did join Ed and Lorraine at the house. And uh, I guess uh, they, Lorraine was shocked when she walked in, what she picked up on there. She said, how can you people possibly be living in this? I don't understand how you could possibly, with, with what's going on here, uh, how you could survive, you you poor people. And... and uh, of course, they investigated and uh, picked up on uh, Lorraine being clairvoyant, picked up on uh, a lot of information and uh, a lot of activity, a lot of negative activity. That uh, it, And she did confirm that it was centered in on Carolyn, and it was extremely, extremely dangerous. Lorraine told them, um, you should not be even sleeping in your bedrooms. You should be sleeping out on the, on the porch for now. You know, while while the warm weather is uh, is available to you, and um, Carl and Donna did spend the day there, but uh, Ed and Lorraine advised them, you know, this is much too dangerous for you to be here. You can't be here after dark. You shouldn't shouldn't be here. It's just just too too dangerous. So that ended um, our group's involvement with the case for that time. Plus, uh, what 
also did not, did not make it easy for us. Somehow a rival group at Rhode Island College found out about our investigation. And they see, this happened even back then in wow. the 70s. <laughs> they came there and knocked on the door and, oh, you're with Pyro. Uh, no, ma'am, we're not with Pyro, but we do what they do, uh, except better. And uh, oh, we'd boy. like to take over your case, you know, and just, so you know, and they started trashing us. And, you know, they, they just, you know, finally the, uh, you know, Mr. Parent said, that, that's it, that's it. No, you know, no more college groups doing that, backbiting each other and stuff like that. But, um, and they didn't even have Facebook back then, did right? They? <laughs> they didn't even have Facebook <laughs> to trash each other Facebook, on, you know. And uh, so a lot of what happened, I I learned about years afterwards. But um, of course, you know, then I went on with my career. Um, my brother and I uh, going through various uh, organizations, starting our own, and uh, my career with Taps, and then with Near and what have you. And uh, Sandra and I did come back to that house and investigate years later, and we did get evidence. Um, no, it was when Sandra and I came back with uh, our own organization near New England Anomalies Research. There was not near you didn't get that feeling of oppression like we did with Pyro originally. You know, there was a nice, nice elderly couple living there and um, very, very hospitable to us and uh, allowed us to investigate. And that, of course, there was no need for a religious provocation or anything like mm-hmm. that. And uh, we did a um, a couple of our our shows we did a um, show actually in their house for ghost are near uh, which is you know available to see online and um, we did get some pretty uh, impressive EVPs there uh, for when the homeowner was uh, telling Sandra I wish I had more to tell you we had we played the tape back on the end of his voice you hear an EVP saying tell her you know and uh, <laughs> there was one that I guess it didn't uh, appreciate Carl's sense of humor and uh, he, one of the investigators got his uh, his EMF recorder and Carl says, oh, that's just one of our investigators. He's relieving himself over there. And you hear the voice say, what? Don't lie. You know, it's, it's like <laughs> those kind of – it's really, really got personality. You know, it's got its own personality. And, and it seems, you know, playful and, and, and interested, not, yeah. not like what was there before. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You, yes. I was going to say, do you think the presence of all the children back in the day could have been what gave it such – I, I think it was. I think it was exactly that. I think it was the presence of the family there, the children, and supposedly it coveted the children. Whatever spirit uh, was dominant there coveted the children, and Lorraine did verify that. It was after Carolyn to basically snuff her out of the way, to get her out of the way, and covet the children and become the the mistress of the house. And of course, the elderly couple and that are there now present no threat at all. Right. Yeah. So. So. It just and people are, of course, a lot of people you see on message boards. Oh, I want to go there. I'm skeptical. Well, that doesn't mean they're going to go there and see what they they see in the movie. Right. This these things like it'll skip generations. It has to be the right or however you want to phrase it, the wrong situation of a family moving in. It's a perfect storm either way. Exactly, exactly. And and from what I understand, um, the Warrens did uh, come back with clergy, and there was a. Um, a full blessing that uh, took place there. One clergyman walked through the house and he said, "I'm sorry, this place cannot be cleansed. I'm wow. sorry, wow. it's just it just cannot." Um, there was a séance conducted there. Uh, Lorraine did br- bring in another psychic, and there was a, a séance that went horribly wrong. It just opened up doors, and you know, well intentioned, but it opened up doors for the uh, Bathsheba spirit, whatever you want to refer to it as, and. Um, it just chaos, and, and Carolyn was even more attacked. The family did live there for 10 years, 
They lived there for 10 years and uh, somehow survived. Mainly victimized was Carolyn. And as much as she loved that house, she was, uh, I would say she was very, very close to either death or possession, full possession. She was uh, taking on the spirit's persona. And finally, she said to her husband, if I don't leave here, I love this place. But if I don't leave, I won't survive another winter here. So they did move out after uh, 10 years there. Meanwhile, I had always kept this close to me, this case. I always wanted to write about it. Uh, I had written a short story about it for a website, but uh, when my first book, I wrote my first book, Paranormal Realities, I I had to write about this, about my experiences. Um, I did uh, did not include the family's last name um, at the time because, you know, I didn't want them to wind up hating me if they ever read it. And uh, I changed, like, the spirit Manny. I changed it into Eric and everything. I didn't have it exact, but uh, then, um, of course, the uh, I did decide, well, Facebook's out. I'm going to try to contact the family. I contacted Andrea, and she got back to me, and it was like a reunion, uh, a wonderful run, wonderful, it was like brother and sister getting together again. It's like, you know, it's like, where have you been all these years? Right. And and we hooked up. And, you definitely uh, left an impression. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, and when she met Sandra, it was like a long-lost sister-in-law, and it's just... And uh, connected with Roger, her father, and it was just like now we're like family. It's like a family reunited, and that that was a beautiful conclusion to that part of the story. And now, of course, the Conjuring, Conjuring is coming out, telling the story. But um, I have to say, if Donna Neufeld had not made that call to the Warrens, well, you know, before Amityville, there was Harrisville, and um, before and Lorraine were in Harrisville, there was Pyro. It's it all like step by step. If Donna had not made that call to Lorraine Warren when she did, there would be no conjuring today. Mm. So, and and maybe I mean, this shaped who you were as an investigator. I'm sure, and uh, to come out of the gate as as a young investigator and have to go up something like this, and. I'm sure Ed and Lorraine Warren, it probably had an effect on them and, and their future investigations as well. So uh, think of all the good that had been done for people later on in succession of this case. Exactly. So it's, it, it touched many lives uh, along the way. Uh, is, there a, is there a Keith Johnson character in the movie? Uh, Do they have you like landscaping so you couldn't make it while they were there? <laughs> um, no, no. As far as I, as far as I know, there is not. But um there's a young college student. You can pretend his name's Keith, I guess. It's a, I was going to say, it's only a matter of time before somebody makes a film about Keith and Carl and Sandra and and just all of your crazy adventures in the paranormal because uh, I'm sure that you have some stories that could be uh, that could be full-fledged horror movies as well. Is, is there going to be a scene where we bless the uh, spooky South Coast studio? <laughs> there might be a scene <laughs> where we have to do that again soon. Yeah. How long? What's the expiration date on those? <laughs> but... Um, you know, it's uh, everything, you know, obviously there are no accidents. Everything happens for a reason. What I didn't know around the time I contacted Andrea Perrin was that she was uh, about to finish her book, her first book on her family story about living in that house. She's writing a trilogy called House of Darkness, House of Light. 
Volume 1 is out, and uh, Volume 2 has just been published as well. And she's working on Volume 3. It's a labor of love for her. And if you want to know every detail of the story from beginning to end, I mean, the movie, of course, is very detailed, but it is a two-hour movie. You want to know every detail that this family experienced from the time they, just before they moved in, till the present day, the the, uh, family that lives there now. Uh, that's the three volumes, House of Darkness, House of Light by Andrea Perrin. And, but don't forget, too, it is a Hollywood movie, too, so they're yes. going to take some liberties. And they're, oh, yeah. As much as they're going to leave some stuff out, they're going to add some stuff in. So of course. Yeah. To get the true unfiltered story, you should pick up these books, and people can get them from Amazon, I assume. Or Yes, yes, or, or directly from Andrea, either way. All right, so definitely uh, check that out. We'll get a, a link up for you on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. Why don't we take a break? When we come back, we'll talk more about this case. I want to look at the... Uh, the side of things where, because to me, I I've, don't have anywhere the wealth of experience that you guys have investigating demonic cases, but it just, from the minute you started describing some of the phenomena that was going on, just in my, I sounded like Jeff Belanger looking at a photograph, demon. You know, that's just <laughs> immediately what I was thinking. So we'll get into all that coming up in just a few minutes. Also, your calls, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. I know we were kind of ignoring some of the lights uh, when people were calling in before, but we were having Keith get the story out so that we could hear all the details. So if you have any questions, thoughts, or concerns, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast on WBSM. Welcome back into Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. And our guest tonight is Keith Johnson. You can watch us on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to see what's going on in the studio. We'll also take your calls if you have any thoughts or questions for Keith or about this case. 508-996-0500-1-877-996-1420. And uh, we mentioned before the break that, uh, as I said, I was thinking demon immediately when he started describing even just the history of what was going on in this location. And you mentioned how uh, this figure had appeared to Carolyn mm-hmm. and its face was unrecognizable and, and it was chanting and it was wearing a Victorian dress. So I'm thinking in my mind, okay, you know, that begins the infestation period where it tries to pretend to be something else. Yes. And then you're talking about how she's taking on its characteristics. And now we're getting into oppression and, and working our way into possession here. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that had there not been intervention, uh, that that was the goal of whatever was there was full fledged possession of somebody in, in that house? I think, the goal was full-fledged possession or the ultimate termination of uh, Carolyn mm-hmm. and then uh, systematically taking over the rest of the family. It seemed to have, um, you know, I don't know if it was, uh, you know, it may have been uh, a uh, succubus spirit that was it, because it did seem to have quite an attraction for Roger Perrin. It was, I mean, it did that time... Um, make his back a bloody mess but otherwise it seemed to like fondly caress him and seemed to really uh have um quite an attraction for roger and was insanely jealous of carolyn and uh i did believe it to be a demonic spirit and of course you know when i do the full sandra and i go in and do the full house blessing now i come prepared with the blessed oil and the holy water and everything i didn't have any of that when i came there that time Uh, i had never done a house blessing before but um 
What did I do? I uh, found the uh, the children's uh, sidewalk chalk in their bedroom and uh, made the sign of the cross on uh, the doors and, and windows. But, um, you know, in retrospect, that when that's done in faith, that is just as effective mm-hmm. as if uh, doing it with the whole, you know, nine yards of holy water. And if, if something's done in faith, that is, is just a, as effective. If you're taking elements, you're taking inanimate objects, and uh, it's the faith behind what you're doing. And we've talked in the past about the gift of discernment yes. and being able to tell when you're dealing with something that's just a nasty human spirit right. and something that's truly demonic. Right. And is this is this something that you felt you had back then, or were you still kind of feeling your way through this? Well, it was. I wouldn't say it was the um, so much the spiritual gift of discernment as that it was unmistakable that it was just coming at just, us. Yeah. You just there was no mistake. There was no mistake that that was. Uh, I mean, I'm sure if you had been there, you would have known. Uh, Matt definitely would have known. I know Matt's sensitive, but um, yeah, there, there was no mistake. But this this was coming at it, and it's and it does obviously it does affect people. In a um, a subsequent meeting of Pyro, our chairperson Donna said, um, "Look, um, I just want to let you know that I'm I'm remaining your chairperson, and I will go on uh, field trips and lectures. But as far as cases go, this is it." Wow. I've, I've had my fill. This, this is, this is it. I mean, I, I and, and even, even though you're, you're a spiritually sound person and you have your faith, and, and Carl has his faith. You know, you guys are pretty grounded in that. Still, you're just a bunch of college kids here. Oh yeah, and, and you're trying to go up against something that you quite don't quite understand just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can only imagine just. Uh, it was almost like that was an immediate crossroads. Mm-hmm. You could have gone one way, which would have probably kept you from being able to investigate ever again. But right. you went the other way, and it seemed to strengthen and solidify it. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, how does it work for you now, though? Are you able, when you first get involved with the case, can you kind of tell right away if you're dealing with something demonic? Or is it, again, through the process of analyzing the phenomena and what's been going on? It's usually the process of analysis. You know, it, it really is. You have to analysis. And plus, you know, you get so much... Um, you deal with mental illness so much, mm. and uh, you see that over and over again. And uh, obviously, I do a great deal of, of networking because uh, you know we used to make this have this running joke: we'll just take the near jet. But uh, <laughs> we we had to stop doing that because too many people were taking us seriously. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like I, I just my heart goes out to people when you can't get to them and they have these these situations, and you wish you could. And um, was was there mental illness in the uh, Harrisville case? Well, well, definitely, because uh, Carolyn, um, she was a very sound woman, uh, but, I mean, what this, the toll this was taken on this, this poor individual, I mean, um, how can anybody go through that? So it might not have been present at the beginning, but right. over the course of the duration of the haunting, it became... Right. PTSD. I mean, yeah. Right. People, yeah. you know, exactly. don't have to necessarily be in quote unquote combat to get PTSD. Yes. And certainly she has been affected since then. It affects her to this very day. Um, she she is uh, has a wonderful sense of humor. Her favorite. She's not a morbid person. Her favorite hobby is gardening. She's a wonderful gardener. But every once in a while, there's um, there's an attack. There's a feeling, and there's she knows she's being watched. Andrea, Andrea knows that uh, you know she was uh, when she's writing the book. One time there was this deep growl, this deep throated growl behind her. She knows that uh, anybody in this field knows that when you're doing this, you are being watched. It seems to me then that it's it's something that while it 
you said that in subsequent investigations, you know, the, you felt this presence wasn't there anymore and that it, it's still kind of lingering in the background and could right. be there at any time. So they're encountering it wherever they are now. Mm-hmm. And you could be encountering it on one of your investigations elsewhere. Right. Exactly. It seems like now that, you know, you've made yourself known to it and you know about it. Right. That it's going to keep keep close watch. And it wasn't completely negative. The experiences in that house. Um her uh, Andrea's sister uh, Cynthia had a, a very positive angelic experience there. Sometimes it would be uh, positive experiences, but Andrea was only attacked once, only once, and that was fairly recently. That was a few years ago when she came back for a visit, and there was a, a local journalist from a local publication that was doing a story on the house. And um, while this journalist was there, Andrea, well, her father Roger, with a cameraman, a friend of his, was down the basement when the Bathsheba spirit or whatever you want to refer to it as began manifesting and he felt himself being caressed and some say you can actually see in the footage you can see a spirit manifesting well he did feel himself uh, that warm caress something was in the room with him being he was touching him and uh, suddenly Andrea was upstairs she wasn't with her father but she just bolted up said my father's in danger I have to go see him and she was slammed against the wall it took her wow. over. It took her months for her to recover from that. She was slammed against the wall, and uh, finally she you mean did psychologically get or physically. Physically, wow. physically, just slammed right against the wall. Um, the journalist that was there to do a story on this uh, excused herself, left the house, and they never heard from her again. Needless <laughs> to say, she never completed the story. <laughs> but the the video footage is is available for people to see. Is yes, that? yes, it is. Um, Andrea, I believe Andrea has it posted online. Oh, excellent. You know, Andrea has a lot of footage uh, online. If you go to uh, Andrea's site, she's very easy easy to find. Just Google Andrea Perrin, and uh, you will uh, find she has a lot, of, a lot of footage. And she's an excellent, excellent narrator. And just so people can uh, do so, is it P-E-R-R-O-N? Yes. Okay, because I'm going to Google it right now, and we'll get all that information uh, during this break. We're going to take a break. When we come back, if you have any questions or, or thoughts, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. What are you guys? We've been called demonologists, paranormal researchers. They've investigated the Amityville Horror and the Haunting in Connecticut on July 19th. Their most terrifying case. There's a lady in a dirty nightgown that I see in my dreams. Begins. Look what she made me do. The Conjuring, rated R, July 19th. All right, that is the film that uh, is based on the case that we are talking about tonight with our guest Keith Johnson, Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. That is The Conjuring. It comes out July 19th. We're going to be some of the first people in line for sure. Actually, what I should do, it's uh, it's being put out by Warner Brothers Pictures. And uh, if I am diligent enough here, I'm going to contact Warner Brothers, and I'm going to see if we can get some tickets to give away here on the show. Smart idea. Yeah. The only problem is now that, you know, we're we're <clears throat> official here at uh, at WBSM. We'll have to work with the promotions people to do so. It's not like the old days when we would just do things on our own and <laughs> submit prize sheets uh, afterwards. You mean management actually pays attention to us now? Right. 
It's new management, so we have to behave ourselves and follow all the rules. So we'll see if we can hook that up somehow. I'm sure that we can. Uh, and then, of course, there, there's the possibility that we'll be having James Wan uh, coming on on a future edition of the show in a pre-recorded interview uh, through our friend John Tobin. So hopefully, if it all works out, we'll be able to do that. Because I would like to find out from somebody who has made films like Insidious and the Saw films. I'd like to see how he handled uh, dealing with the source material. And, and being able to bring it to light because I know that we talked about in the past uh, the Dybbuk Box case. We had uh, Juliet Snowden and Styles White, the writers of the program, uh, the writers of the film The Possession, and we had them on to talk about the process of taking that original story and making it into a Hollywood movie. And it sounded to me like they took a good story and kind of just used that as a very thin basis for their own horror movie. Uh, but with this case, there's so much to go with in actual reality and fact that, you know, there's, there's really no need to embellish the story. So if you'd like to call in with any thoughts or comments, 508-996-0500, Let's go to the phones. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast with Keith Johnson. How are you? Hi, WBSM. All right, I guess he didn't have anything to say. 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420. And uh, we were talking before uh, we took the break uh, about the negative aspects of this case and, and about it being uh, a demonic entity that was probably at, at the basis of this. And you had mentioned, Keith, that there was an angelic experience as well. Does that happen a lot in demonic cases? Can you have both sides of good and evil, light and dark, happening in the same investigation? You can. You can have that. And uh, whenever Sandra and I are on a case such as this, uh, well, again, this case such as this is very, very yes. rare. But whenever we're on a potentially inhuman spirit case, we always ask for angelic assistance. We always uh, – because we're not just casting out negative energy. We're asking for something to replace it um, because that – you know, you just cast it out. That leaves a void. So we're asking for the presence of an angelic spirit to come and take its place because, yes, when you're in this field, you are being watched. But there's the other side too. You're being guided too. And we uh, do pray that we're being guided by angelic spirits and uh, that they're sent to protect us and help us. And uh, I think that was very true in this house as well. They were guardian. There were children there, obviously. So it's not just that the family were being hammered away at. There are limits to what the demonic can do. And angelic spirits are more powerful, and they do intercede on uh, people's behalf quite frequently. I can understand if you if you don't want to answer this, if if it goes in the direction that it might go. But what was the family's home life like before they had moved into this property? How how were they as a family going into this? Were, was everything kind of happy go lucky? Were they having some problems or? They were a very, very loving family, um, exceptionally uh, loving family. And to look at them, they almost like a TV family, if you know what I mean, of the 70s. Mm -hmm. You know, they were very, very uh, attractive uh, family, very, very loving to each other. Um, not necessarily extremely popular in the community that they, they came from because they were individuals. And, you know, if you have you go outside the realm, you know, you're going to make enemies, too. And... Um, Carolyn came into this situation being a non-believer. She didn't have any religious beliefs per se. She left a full believer mm. after 10 years. 
So it's not the typical uh, situation where we hear sometimes with some family strife and, and these type of entities will prey upon that. Right. It seems like they just decided that it didn't matter who it was that moved in. You know, they, right. they were going after them. Right. And this family was there at the, you want to say, the right time or the wrong time that they, they just moved in. And, and just, I mean, horrendous, horrendous things happened. But very peculiar things, too. Um, one time, Carolyn was in the barn, and a sickle left leapt off the wall and started spiraling down to her, just missed, missed her by inches, things like that. And it's like she didn't even have time to jump aside, just realized what had happened. Another time, she was walking through the parlor by the fireplace. All of a sudden, she looks over, and there's a different family there. And they're dressed in... Uh, mid-19th uh, century outfits, and they're just sitting down to dinner. There's a couple of children being unruly. The mother's trying to get them to sit down to eat. Suddenly, there's two young men sitting down to eat. One of them nudges, points to Carolyn. Oh. Like, what is that? So Who I was going to say, that? so it's not just a residual right. after effect. It, it, like, she's the ghost to them. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's intelligent. And then it just faded out. So I guess for a second, she was haunting another family. Or at least that's how it seemed. So there, there's something very unique about this location it sounds like it sounds like there's a very thin veil there oh yeah between worlds dimensions whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. uh, but it, and it seems like it's opened the door for anything to come through well yes. why would you account to the fact then that maybe nothing this overtly negative has come back to the location over the years is it th- does it have to do with the fact that you know it, it, it had its time and it had its chance and, and kind of lost out on that or maybe it's that some of the the light that you brought in has helped keep it at bay over the years I think it's dormant because of the blessings and the religious intervention, um, beginning with what I did. But, of course, it was uh, continued by members of the clergy and everything. I think it's dormant. I also think it's like a volcano and could erupt again at any time. There was a family living there. A minister lived there for uh, some years, a few years, and uh, he experienced uh, very little, if any, activity. He had a son, I believe was 19 years old at the time. One time his son came home, pulled in the driveway. He reported seeing uh, a very strange elderly woman in his uh, front yard standing there. The strange thing about this woman, she looked very hateful and very bizarre. And uh, she was standing there staring at him. And he got the impression that this woman thought he was the intruder. Mm-hmm. So he, he, uh, he didn't even speak to her. The strange thing about this woman is her head was tilted to one side. Yeah as if she had uh, some kind of cervical problem. He was about to call the police. He looked outside. She was gone. I mean, no elderly person could sprint that fast. Right. But uh, that was his... Especially his, with something around with their, exactly. their neck and head like that. Exactly. So do, do you think that that... Well, obviously that ties into what Carolyn saw. Mm-hmm. But does it also tie into the to the young lady who was murdered and had her head cut off? Do you think that that is maybe some sort of connection to that? I think it could be. It's just that uh, it seems to um, kind of uh, comparable to The Shining. You know, it just feeds off negative and feeds mm-hmm. off negative and almost takes on a life of its own. And uh, this house is truly, it's, I guess it could be considered one big portal in a way. Well, and you use the word dormant to describe the negative side of the activity that takes place there. And it, it you have to ask the question, with the movie coming out and with all the attention that's going to be paid to this case uh and i'm sure everybody's going to be reading andrea's books and it's going to draw a lot of uh attention to it and and stir up a lot of that stuff again do you feel like maybe this activity could respond to that that this this entity could respond to that attention i think it could respond i don't think people are going to come over and see people uh flying around the peak in the window see people flying around the room uh Mm -hmm. like they see in the movie 
it's going to appear and it's going to manifest when it wants and how it wants. And, and we mentioned, of course, that it's, you know, the, to the locals, they know where this took place mm-hmm. and that it's going to be something that's the target of a lot of people's interest uh, over the next couple of weeks and couple of months, but that people should not go there. They should not bother these right. people. Yeah, you have to understand, the people that live now, they, they are such a wonderful couple and ni- nicer people you, you couldn't imagine. And they, out of cur- courtesy, they um, allowed Sander and our team to come over there, you know, a few times and uh, investigate. And uh, it was nothing like when the, when the um, parents lived there. We weren't there to intervene in a crisis. We were just there to um, take some data and um, do one of our shows and see if something was still there. And it was, but uh, nobody's being threatened there. Nobody's being harmed. Um, one thing that uh, I have no idea if this is portrayed in the movie, but when Carolyn was there, she, what she did experience was a blue light flashing down from the chimney and going across the room and retreating, retracting immediately. It's kind of like a probe. Some people in uh, situations, in haunted situations, do experience this. Um, The current owner did experience this as well, the blue light streaking across the room. All right, well, why don't we take our final break of the program uh, before, well, except for the news break, but it's our final spot that we have to take. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about this. We'll take your calls, 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420. Back in just 30 seconds here on Spooky South Coast. The Conjuring. Welcome back into Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. That is the full official trailer for The Conjuring. comes out July 19th, and it's about the case that we've been discussing tonight with our guest Keith Johnson. He had mentioned uh, Andrea Perrin's website. It is houseofdarknesshouseoflight.com. That's where you can go and order the first two copies of the book. And uh, I'm just looking here to see uh, how much it is if people want to pick it up. You can get it from Amazon.com. Uh, you can pick it up. The Kindle version is eight forty nine. The hardcover version is thirty one fifty nine, and the paperback version is twenty two forty six. And of course, this is going to be a collector's item once the film comes out. So uh, you want to make sure that you get them uh, as quickly as you can. I'll, I'll probably grab it for the Kindle because I just I like to read the e-books now. <laughs> you should see my bookshelf, as I'm sure you have at home, Keith, and I know you have Moni's. Uh, so that there's the. The options to get it, you can get it all from the website, houseofdarknesshouseoflight.com, if you want to pick up the books and also find out more about the movie. There's more information there as well. And that was the actual parents that we heard in that clip sharing yes. their, their own experiences. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it's rare when we have these cases that you can get the family that endure this out front and center. And the last movie I can think of where that happened was The Haunting in Connecticut. Exactly. Which, of course, was another Ed and Lorraine Warren case. Right. Exactly. And we, we talked a little bit off there about the casting mm-hmm. for the film. And uh, t- to me, to it's very, it's very easy to try to find people who can portray paranormal investigators on film. Mm-hmm. It, it's very hard to get somebody that can portray the humanity that Ed and Lorraine Warren brought to these cases. Right. And that's what I think is so special about what they did. I mean, we all know and respect the work of a guy like Hans Holzer. Mm-hmm. Hans is a very hard guy to deal with, mm-hmm. and I think he came across that way in a lot of his work. Uh, but with with Ed and Lorraine, you have to ha- kind of have that that strength and that chemistry between them, because in, at least in my opinion, from what I know of their work, that was what was uh, as much as their faith 
protected them and everything, but I think it was that bond that they had with each other yeah. that also served as protection with them, much like you and, and Sandra have as well. Mm-hmm. And, and it just I think they nailed the casting. And just in the clips that I've seen, yes. they've got it right. And what's very interesting about uh, the way Ed and Lorraine are portrayed in this is that there's... Um of course, they are the famed uh, seekers of the supernatural. They are the famed experienced paranormal investigators. But there's also a vulnerability about them, the way they're portrayed. Uh, it's not that they go charging in and have all the answers. They're sometimes just as taken aback. And you see that vulnerability in how they they actually literally hold on to each other as a couple and, and have to bond together or else they would have fallen apart as a couple. And, you know, my... I'd say if I have one major regret about this, it's this movie coming out now. It's that Ed's not here. I mean, we do have Lorraine, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, thank God. Lorraine is still with us. But um, then again, uh, before Ed uh, took ill, according to Lorraine, this is one of the last things they talked about, about this story being presented. And um, to know Ed, I know I know Lorraine is the clairvoyant one, and um, Ed was the hardcore demonologist and investigator. But uh, knowing Ed personally, uh, he knew more than he let on. He, there was something, you know, that he had within him that uh, there was more than to the man than uh, than he was telling. And uh, I think I think he knew. I think he knew more than uh, than meets the eye, so to speak. I've got a question for you. Yes. Now uh, I've, I met. Ed and Lorraine years ago, but I also know that Ed was a, a very accomplished painter. And did he not paint that house, make a painting of it? You know, he, he did a, a, a great deal of painting. I don't recall if he actually did a painting of that house, but I've seen some of his artwork, some of his of spirits. Some of his spirit paintings look uncannily like what was described in that house. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if he was his artwork was influenced by that case. I don't see how it could could not be influenced. Because mm, I remember seeing a video of a, a lot of his work on the, on their walls and stuff like that, and I vaguely recall seeing something similar to that house. It may not have been, I may just be projecting my own thoughts on this, but I could have sworn he did something in relationship to that house. Yeah, I would say his artwork was definitely influenced by that. And I don't see how it could not have been influenced after that case because, like all of us who were involved, it did have a lifelong effect on him. Anybody who was involved with that case, it had a lifelong effect. And um, I know um, Tom D'Agostino had also written about that for Haunted Rhode Island. He had uh, interviewed me about that case, and there's a chapter in his book, Haunted Rhode Island, on the Perrin case. And, um, you know, but until now, it has not been generally known as, as a household word, the Harrisville case, the Perrin case, the conjuring, and now it's being known to the world at large. Because so. it, it was a while ago that you first told me about this case and, and told me the information about it. Oh, yeah. It. I've always talked about it in every every uh, lecture I've talked about because and you know, it's our original case. And you could just you could just tell, like, in you sharing some, just a little bit that you shared, you could tell then what an effect that it had on you. And I can only imagine the effect that it had on these children growing up. And, and you can see in that, I, I like to think that, you know, just as, as you have some discernment when it comes to demonic activity, mm-hmm. I like to think I have some discernment when somebody's being, you know, uh, you know when they're playing for the cameras. I like right. to think that I can kind of call out somebody who's, who's playing it up. And uh, looking at their faces in that clip 
I don't care how well they were directed. That's natural. You can see the look oh, on yeah. their face and the reaction that they're having to just just these memories and just talking about it again. Mm-hmm. That uh, I, I can only imagine that's probably something that a lot of people who know these children now that they're adults mm-hmm. uh, probably have no idea anything about what happened to them. Right. Well, they could not publicly talk about this for well over 30 years. And um, I, I could not announce that I was a demonologist for many years, so uh, that I was into demonology. So, um, in you know, that way I know it's like a very taboo subject. But there's probably close friends that wouldn't, that have no idea oh, until sure. they see them in this clip and say, I can't believe that you went through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, I, I can only imagine what it's like uh, to, to have to endure that. And it's one thing when you go into a case, when you're a family and you have a haunting like this take place or, or activity like this take place, when you can almost say, all right, we have to own this a little bit because it's our fault. Right. You know, you hear the stories about people playing around with Ouija boards. You hear stories about people, um, you, you know, practicing dark arts, whatever it is that might invite these mm-hmm. severely negative hauntings and potentially demonic hauntings that take place. But when it comes out of left field and, you know, you're living your dream here, you're moving into this house that you love and, and you think that everything is going good in your life and then wham, it just comes out of nowhere. Right. Uh, and that must be even more trying for you is to have to uh, kind of counsel the people that you are uh, investigating their case as well, trying to let them know that there is a light on the other side of this. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, Carl and I have been known for um, being uh, investigating the demonic and the paranormal realm, and Sandra have been, and I have been known for that for many years. But Donna Neufeld, it's affecting her in this way because uh, she has not been known for this, and it's not something she could talk about for, uh, I mean, here it is four decades later. Almost nobody that knows her knows that she was involved in this at all, let, let alone a case of this magnitude. And now it's just coming out that she was the case manager for this, and People are contacting her on Facebook. Donna, I never knew that you were involved in this. You, yeah. you were involved in something like this. You you dealt with a case that, that drove the family practically to ruin. And how come you never told me? How, how could I tell people? Right. How do you bring that up? Right. You just don't do it over coffee. And, and not only that, you're probably trying to, to bury a lot of those memories as best you can. Right. Cause, because she was seriously traumatized by it as well. So it's one of those things that's going to just continue to have a lingering effect uh, on those who are involved in it. But also, you know, maybe it will also shed some light for some other people who are dealing with something, too, to say, okay, you know, this happened to a real family. This is a real story. Mm-hmm. And now it makes what's going on in our house seem a little bit less bizarre. And, and they exactly. can be more open to, to seeking out the help that they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that we've discussed this in the past. And you, you said that, you know, these cases like this are extremely rare, but even demonic cases as a whole are, are still pretty rare. Yes. Even even ones that don't reach this level of intensity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, on average, how many would you say are probably, you know, coming across your desk each year? Well, we get we get quite a few that that claim to be demonic. that are potentially yeah. yeah. But but uh, when when you actually investigate, usually I know the family is is going through a lot of a lot of trauma and everything. But if the family um, you know cooperates and uh, kind of takes advice and everything, usually it's resolved fairly easily. Fairly easily, it's like they're they're living with fear, and their fear can be conquered. Usually, it's people are living with their own fear, and that's the main obstacle. Um, it's You're not right. that they're being attacked; it's just that they're they're so f- they're accustomed to being afraid of everything. Um, so, but a truly demonic case is very, very rare. 
that where people are actually being oppressed and attacked like this. And I think, too, that uh, there, there are other groups out there who are claiming to be investigating demonic cases every weekend. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, and I, I guess that kind of shows, uh, I don't want to say irresponsibility on their part, because I think that they're trying to do the right, right. thing exactly. in terms of that. But they're just, they might just be misinformed as to, to how these cases are going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's something that we can definitely talk about this coming up uh, in the next uh, segment of the show. We're going to be here until 920 before the Red Sox pregame starts. So uh, coming up in the next part of the program, if you have any questions or thoughts or, or concerns, anything that you want to ask our guest, Keith Johnson, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. We are here on a special time. Uh, normally we are on 10 to midnight, but next week we'll also be in this time slot from 7 to 9.20 p.m. We'll be talking about black-eyed kids, which is uh, another creepy phenomena. We'll be talking with David Weatherly about that. And then we'll be back in our regular 10 p.m. time slot the week following uh, when we'll be talking to Lara Calhoun about paranormal talent agencies. And uh, we've got a a number of topics coming up here in in the coming weeks that are just, uh, you know, we're going to be exploring new avenues and and going down different roads. And even after seven and a half years of doing this program, we're still finding topics that we have to cover. We're still finding new angles to things that we have covered. And it just seems to never change. And when I look at somebody like Keith, who's had a a long and, and productive career investigating the paranormal, I know that there's still so much that we're going to learn. Moniz, you're, you've been investigating for about 70 years now. And, uh, <laughs> and there's still things that you're experiencing. I mean, I go out to like Legend Trips events with you, and you're coming up to me and saying that you're experiencing something that you've never experienced before. So uh, the, there's so much to learn. So hopefully you can continue to join with us each and every week as we learn about the paranormal. Uh, and that's what this show is about. We're not, we're not coming on here uh, proclaiming to be experts. We're coming on here trying to find answers and trying to learn more for ourselves. And we're just taking you, the listener, along for the ride with us. If you are new to the show, if this is the first time you're hearing it, if you are computer savvy and you have an iPod or you have the ability to download uh, uh, podcast from iTunes. You can get every show that we've ever done from iTunes free of charge. Uh, seven and a half years worth of archives. That's uh, over 600 shows, I believe, at this point. And uh, we've been downloaded uh, over 3 million times now uh, over the course of seven and a half years. So if you haven't heard them yet, you've got some catching up to do. And uh, we are actually will be posting up last week's show tonight in addition to this week's show because we fell a week behind with our Legend Trips event. So uh, we do have the Nick Redfern show up there now for you to catch. That was from the week that we were at the uh, Fort Tabor Legend Trips event. And then later on, I will be uploading last week's show with Jeff Holder and, of course, tonight's show with Keith Johnson. So if you miss any part of the show, you'll be able to get it all from there. And we've got Spooky TV back up this week. So fingers crossed, as long as remember to hit stop record (laughs) and save it, we'll be able to post the video up to YouTube as well. So you'll be able to catch it there as well. We're going to take a break for the news right now. When we come back on the other side, more with our guest, Keith Johnson. Stick around. We'll be back with more here on Spooky South Coast. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. 1420 WBSA presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Foster. Right, welcome back. The final 15 minutes or so of the program tonight. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz and our guest tonight is Keith Johnson. His website is nearparanormal.com. N-E-A-R-Paranormal.com. And of course, Keith, you're on Facebook if people want to follow you there. Have you, have you made the jump to Twitter yet? 
Yes, we're on Twitter. All right, excellent. What's your What's your Twitter handle? You'd have to ask Sandra about that. <laughs> I'm sure it's right <laughs> on your website. Yeah. Right on the website, so yeah. you can check yes. that out. And of course, you can find all the episodes yeah. of Ghosts of Near on there as well. Oh yeah, yeah. And as exactly. well as ordering both of your books. Mm-hmm. You're working on another book, or yes, I'm almost done with uh, Paranormal Moralities Three. Nice. And I'm working on a book on uh, practical demonology. That's why, you know, people call me at 3 in the morning. Uh, they can just turn to my book. You know, so right, and save you the, from having to get up. Right. And uh, But I will say, Keith, I mean, whenever I've had anybody that's contacted me with something that I feel is demonic, as you guys know, I try not to. Sooner or later, I think I'll have to go and, and experience one for myself. But I just don't feel ready yet, uh, even after all this time of doing this. So I always refer to you uh, if anything's going on. And, and usually what I do is I send Keith an email and I say, here's what's going on. You know, let me know what you think, and I'm kind of thinking, you know, uh, you can let me know if I need to get in touch with somebody else. Or it's never that. Keith's always like, give me their number. Let me get in touch with them. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's even with your heavy caseload, you're still willing to help wherever you can, and we definitely appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, and Moniz, we were talking uh, off the air there, uh, but we mentioned that there's been a, a little bit of a, a UFO flap happening in our hometown over the last few days. Uh, yeah. Uh, Swiss Beach last night at about uh, 10 p.m., I had... Some people call and email me and, you know, uh, and stuff. Object was seen flying over the beach heading uh, towards downtown. One person actually even got a uh, videotape of it. So if anybody else had seen something uh, in around that time in Wareham, please uh, inbox us at SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Right. We would definitely love to see uh, anything you might have or hear, hear your reports and experiences. Uh, what... I mean, I'm hearing about this happening, and the first thing I'm thinking of, well, there's fireworks going off, you know, Chinese lanterns, all these different things that are probably taking place as part of the Independence Day celebrations. But uh, you I've know. got my curiosity, too, but what set me off is that other people that I know that live in a different area talked about military jets going up. You know, you, military doesn't scramble jets for no reason. Well. It's, well, it's expensive. Right. And, uh, and you know, I, I can tell you that there's been some pretty intriguing uh, aerial activity uh, over the past couple weeks. Yes. Uh, a lot of low-flying helicopters. And I, I know the difference between... I've noticed that, yeah. I, I know the difference between a bog copter and, <laughs> and yeah. something else. And, and these are definitely something else. And, uh, and I'm not saying they're flying bog copter low either. Right. But they're, they're still flying pretty low. And you've been spotting it in Rhode yeah. Island? Yeah, actually, uh, you know, I've been learning my team members. And my team members, you know, they'll, they'll get up at uh, 10, 11 at night and they'll just go down to Connecticut Point and you know set up their station there and uh, so yeah we have been noticing these things and uh, not not that there's anything for alarm but we just like to keep on top and know we do like to notice if something is uh, flying around we want to know and we want to know why absolutely and we are experiencing what the uh, 60 66th yeah anniversary of uh, the Roswell crash well the original crash happened on the second found the day of the third the fourth uh they basically Mac Braswell celebrated the fourth of July with his family reported it into the sheriff on the fifth the sheriff in turn called the base in which uh they brought down a couple of gentlemen uh one of them being the guy that collected all of the material and brought it back up to the base. And on the 7th, they reported it as being, you know, a downed UFO and then later retracted on the 8th. Well, we had uh, we had uh, Jesse Marcel on a few years right. ago. And uh, so 1947 was the date? Yes. 
So to, by doing my math, it is six, 66? Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. I want to make myself stupid on the air because I'm terrible yeah, at math. Yeah, about 66 years, yeah. We have a call on the line, and if you'd like to call in, 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420. We do have about nine minutes before the Red Sox are coming on. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Keith Johnson. How are you? Oh, hi. Um, I was listening to your uh, show, Driving Home, and I didn't catch all of it, but um, I do want to say evil is pervasive in the world, Mm. and um, I just pray... Every day for the world, and, and I think that's an effective thing. I don't know your whole history on, um, you know, when you go into a place that has a possession, but you said you, you say prayers, and that and that does help. Yes, yes. Keith, Keith okay. certainly does. He says yes. prayers, yeah. Yep, and I pray every day for my family and my children in this world. And I look at demonic p- possession when you see um, the, the drug addiction, how... It just changes. It ruins a person's soul. And some of this stuff, it is. I, I, I feel there are evil forces that just are, are there in the world. And I think the good people on earth just prevent them from taking over. Well, I think we need more people with your attitude and mm-hmm. people yeah. that are praying for, for the good every yep. day. And that's the best thing you can do is start start the day with praying and mm-hmm. praying for protection, uh, especially putting on the armor of God, as it says in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, so that is um, excellent prayer protection, as well as Psalm 91. So, yes, you're absolutely right to pray for the good instead of uh, focusing on the negative. Nope, I do that every morning and every night, just for the world, and my friends do also. And uh, we ask for protection for our children, for our homes. When I got married, we had our home blessed, and it's been a happy home. We've had, you know, the tragedy. I mean, you know, the losses and death and all that. But it's been a home of, of, of welcoming and of hope and hospitality. And um, if we all start in our, our little way... And um, that—that's my two cents worth. <laughs> well, I—I I think people have gotten away from that, and I think that's a good point. Pe- people should do that more. Have their house blessed. I mean, it can't hurt mm-hmm. when you move into mm-hmm. a house. Just, just right. you know, have it blessed in the name of God, or whatever your belief is. Just uh, welcome in the positive right. light and the positive energy. Right. Um, one of my children did have a has has a home in another state that that is rented now but when he first moved in he did feel a, a presence he was telling me this and um just felt it and he and i guess when he and his wife were away for the weekend um it was a two family the neighbors downstairs said you know there's somebody up there like we hear people up there like shuffling around and um they they just prayed in their home and they said it went away well, that's that's good. Yeah, that's good ooh. because you do need that dedication. You don't know what is there, you know. Even if yeah. nobody lived there before, mm-hmm. um, I have a, a niece who uh, just found an unopened, uh, wrapped uh, Ouija board in her basement. She told me about. Um, and she doesn't know how it got there. And I said, could it have been the previous residence? And she said, we're the first family that's lived here. So, okay. I mean, wow. strange things do happen in this world. So it's always a good what, idea to have your, your house blessed. Your prayers, what is the evilness with the Ouija board? Well, it's not the board itself. I remember it's, it was a kid's game yeah. at one point. It's, it's, not the, it's what it represents. It's the fact oh. that people are using that to communicate and using your psyche. You're opening yourself up to, oh. you know, 
potentially dangerous forces. Oh. What the idea of the unopened one is in my niece's basement, I have yeah. no idea. Maybe that's yeah. a maybe that's a case from my friend John's office. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. So th- thank you for explaining that. Oh, well, thank welcome. you so much for the call. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll tune in next week too. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, yeah, and that, I mean, I just want to thank her and her friends for the prayers because the world needs all that they can get, that's for sure. It seems like uh, we hear more and more negative stories, more bad things happening in the in the world. There was, of course, that tragedy that happened earlier today with the plane crash in San Francisco. and The train crash up in Canada. Just so many things happening that uh, I think a little extra praying never hurt anybody. And, uh, and again, as Key said, you know, blessing a house never hurt either, so... Might as well do it. You never know. Mm-hmm. You know, even even if you're not of a particular belief system, and you know, even if you have no beliefs, just don't let them know. Right. You know, just <laughs> say, "Hey, can you come and bless my house?" Don't don't tell them that. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that you know most clergymen will come and, and bless the house, and all you got to do is like make them some macaroni and cheese, right? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Feed them well. Yes. Oh, for for the pastafarians. there you go and on that note uh, that about does it for tonight's show Uh, we will be back next Saturday night from 7pm until 9.20 when we'll be talking about black eyed kids with David Weatherly but we want to thank tonight's guest Keith Johnson for coming down here and hanging out with us it's always a great time I don't know why we don't have you down here more often well we'll have to make make it a more frequent occasion especially since he's always willing to to drive down here Mm -hmm. where you know like that Belanger guy, yeah. he wants to call in from home and and Balzano. He never wants to fly up from Florida to come in and, and join us. Well, we got to book him a room. <laughs> yeah, well, he can he can always crash in uh, in Moniz's house, the island of Doctor Moniz. Sure. You never come out the same way that you go in. <laughs> and uh, I'm pretty sure, you know, Moniz is pretty open. Like, he'll let people stay on his couch whenever they want. All he asks for is a DNA sample, and uh, he takes down into the cloning lab. Actually, Lucky just stayed over the other day. Really? Yeah. Well, and I should have told you to tell him a happy belated birthday. Oh, yes. Although I did tell him happy birthday on Facebook. So. And Leanne showed up, too, for cookout. So. Speaking of uh, Lucky, uh, just as an aside note, I know we only have about a minute left here, but I was recently re- re-listening to the War of the Worlds episode oh, that yeah. we did. <laughs> and uh, just the performance that we got from Lucky and, and from uh, from Peter Robbins and yep. from yourself, that was just a phenomenal episode. So if you're new to the show, that's one that you definitely want to check out. Uh, and as well as all the other shows that we've done over the years, just go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. That's where you can find out everything about the program. You can also go to NearParanormal.com to find out everything about Keith and his work, N-E arparanormal.com and uh, we'll be back next Saturday night when we'll be talking about black eyed kids I'll be back next Saturday morning uh, from 6 to 9 when we'll be talking about all kinds of stuff whatever is on the thoughts and minds of the south coast that early on a Saturday morning and again legendtrips.com is the website if you want to join us for our upcoming event at the USS Salem that is happening on August 31st. Tickets are $99 for that. You get dinner, you get lectures, you get hours of guide and investigation on a huge, immense ship there in Quincy Harbor, and it's going to be a night like you've never had before. So uh, we'll definitely be talking more about that as we get closer to it, and uh, that about does it for this week's show. So for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, for Keith Johnson, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, 
Until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is...